I want us to pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I want us to pray that the Lord will grant us access to divine revelation tonight. I want us to pray that the power of God will be made available in this place. I want us to pray that the Lord will do something new in the midst of his people tonight. I want us to pray as a person that the Lord will speak to your heart. Commit yourself to him. Say, Lord, speak to my heart tonight. Do something specific in my life tonight. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We give you praise and honor tonight. We worship and adore you. In Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Father of light, tonight we want to honor you and want to give you praise. We're very grateful to you for life, for strength, for grace. The favor that we did not deserve, but you gave to us. Jesus came and died. That we may live forever. Thank you for this great opportunity. Tonight, we've come together to behold your face. Spirit of the living God. Speak to each of us tonight. Let your word come with accuracy. Let it come with unction. Let it come with the ability to bring a change into every man's life. Thank you for what you've done. We honor your name. In Jesus' name. And the church said amen. The church said amen. How many of us believe that the Lord is here tonight? I believe that the Lord is here tonight, and is here for you, is here for me, hallelujah. As I observe the Christian life, there were a few typologies that we see in the scriptures that gives us a clue. To the Christian life. The Christian life is not supposed to be a boring life. The Christian life is supposed to be a vibrant, lively life. I studied the gospel. There was never a time when Jesus was down and out. Never a single time. The disciples were having the best of time because Jesus was there. One of the times, some people came to the disciples of Jesus and I asked them, how is it that the disciples of John fast and pray and your disciples, they were saying to Jesus, do not fast. Jesus said, when the bridegroom is available, nobody cares about what to eat or what to drink. Everything is made available when the bridegroom is there. What does that supposed to mean? All of the disciples were having a good time when Jesus 
was there. And I'm going to say this tonight. When Jesus left, or when he was about to go, he said, you know what? You're still going to continue to have a good time. I am going, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm going to send to you a comforter who will be beside you all of the time. What does that mean? In other words, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. Do we know what it means to be comfortless? In other words, you're not going to be sad. I will be by your side by sending my spirit to produce joy, life, and excitement. How many of us have met Christians? I'm going to use an English expression. They call it tacitons and morose. That's the, that's the expression in English, which means they just look so as if they've been beaten. And that's the impression we have. When we see a believer, we say, oh no, they are spiritual and they are deep. Because of what? Because they look so sad. That is not true. When you look at God's word, God hasn't called us into a dead religion. He said, I'm not the God of the dead, but I'm God of the living. I am God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am that I am. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. If I made them happy, I will make you happy all of the days of your life. Jesus said, even up to now, you have asked for nothing. But if you ask me anything, I will give it unto you. Ask the Father in my name. He will give you everything. He says that your joy may be full. Your joy may be full. Tonight, we have come for a checkup. To check ourselves up. Every year we go for a physical at the doctor's office. Isn't that true? Now what we do every Sunday and particularly today, in a sense we've come to do a physical, in a spiritual sense. We've come to examine ourselves to see how you're doing and I am doing. Because when you go to the doctor's office, the one thing you want them to do is to test you. To look at your blood system, to look at every part of your system, your internal organs, to make sure everything is okay. To be sure the levers are functioning well. To be sure that the kidneys are okay. To be sure that your heart is in place. That's what we do. But the same way, spiritually, we're supposed to have our spiritual checkups. And the theme of tonight's message is, Lord, I need a revival. <laughs> Lord, I need a revival. I know you're a believer. You never had any issues. I know you've always been on top. I know many of us came here tonight excited coming to the house of God. But we're living in the age that has been prophesied about. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, in verse 12, he said something that I want us to pay attention to tonight. In verse 12 of the book of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, it says, in the last days, iniquity will abound. And the love of many will grow wax cold. In the last days. We're in the days that Jesus spoke about. 
We're in the times when the lives of believers are apparently not different from those who are not Christians. You could see there is no sign of a changed life. What is going on? It is not because they are not saved. It is because they have become compromised to the things of the world. What is going on now is that believers are becoming rather cold and lukewarm. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter 3, If you are cold and lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. I wanted to receive fire in your bones. Become renewed in the spirit of your mind. Receive strength from me. And live each day as if it's your last. I've come to tell us tonight we need to find the fire to flame in our lives. If the fire is going out, today is the day. We need to call on the Lord, renew the fire in me. We need to rediscover and re-examine our commitment, if there is any at all. What is the beauty of a Christian life? The beauty of a Christian life, I remember vividly, when we first gave our lives to the Lord, is that Every day, first thing in the morning, what comes out of your mouth is worship. Oh God, I'm so grateful for another day. That's what we used to do when we gave our lives to Christ. We worshiped because that's all we knew how to do. We just wanted to love him. We just wanted to worship him. What is going on today in your life? When we wake up in the morning, there, it's like the dew of heaven. There is a freshness that comes from heaven. You feel the presence of God around you. You just want to speak to the Lord. You want to say, oh God, I'm so grateful for another day. I'm grateful you give me another life, another opportunity. I'm grateful to you. You just worship and worship. And you know what we do? As we go out of the house, you go into the shower, you keep singing praise to God. Because your heart is in fellowship with him. But you know what I found out? Two, five, ten years down the line. We wake up in the morning and all we say is, oh God, how is it that my life is like this? That's how we begin the day. What's gone wrong? Oh God, I need money. Oh Lord, I need a spouse. Oh Lord, I need you to move me to a new level in my finances. Now, all of that, all of those are okay. But the very first thing in a day when you have a father is to say good morning. What's going on with us as believers that suddenly the sweetness of the fellowship that we had at the beginning is beginning to diminish. What's going on with our lives? I saw in the scriptures that when we came into the kingdom, we've been called into a sweet fellowship. May the grace of our Lord Jesus. Do we think that was just in the scriptures? No. It says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul taught to the churches. He said, may the grace of our Lord. Understand the place of the grace. It says, and the what? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the what? And the love of God. And the fellowship 
of the Spirit. In other words, as you wake up in the morning, you remember the place of the grace of God. The grace that brought Jesus to the world. The love that is sustaining you today. And you're thinking of the fellowship of the Spirit. In other words, when you wake up in the morning, you're so full of Trinity. You're full of the Father. You're full of the Son. You're thinking of the place of the Spirit in your life. Is it a new experience? No. I'm going to take us through the scriptures tonight to know that if you're in that position tonight, you're not alone. And you know what I love about this? The Lord will bring us out of it. The Lord will bring us to a place of fresh fellowship. Freshness will return to your life. You will begin to enjoy your life again in the spirit. The Lord will begin to lead you to deep waters again. The Lord will begin to grant you divine revelation again. There will be sweetness in your spirit again. That's what he's going to do for us. A few typologies I mentioned in the scriptures that I saw. In John chapter 15, the scripture says that we are the guardians of the Lord. Jesus said, I am the true vine. My father is the husband man. And you are the branches. Is that what he said? In other words, God began to look at us as his garden. And you know what I see? If we're true God's garden, God wants us to be evergreen. He wants us to be what? Evergreen. What happens is this. When we lose our fellowship with the Lord, what happens is we are getting gradually disconnected from the root. And that's not what he wants. He wants us to stay connected because every tree only continues to be green when they stay connected to the root. When we begin to get detached and disconnected from the root, you know what happens? Gradually. We begin to have a discoloration. This green will begin to become a little brownish, a little yellowish. And you know what? There are a lot of believers in their fellowship with God, they're a little yellowish. Because when you speak to them, life is not coming out of them anymore. When you speak to them, their passion is gone. When you speak to them, their values are different. When you speak to them, they have no passion for souls. They haven't remembered any last time they spoke to somebody about Jesus. Why? Because the, the tree is turning a little bit yellowish. And God is saying, I want to renew your strength. I want to renew your strength. Let's take a look at what happens to Israel. In Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 2, I like to study from the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 2. In Jeremiah chapter 2, I'm going to start my reading from verse 2. Are we there? Jeremiah chapter 2 from verse 2. I'll begin from verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, in verse 2 now, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you. The kindness of your youth. The love of your betrothal. When you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown, Israel was holiness to the Lord. The first fruit 
of his increase. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. I want us to see the scriptures tonight, and I want us to bring out and glean from this passage of the scriptures. Now, this is speaking to the nation of Israel. When God began to speak to his prophet, don't forget Jeremiah was a young man, but God began to speak to him expressly, telling him about the situation in Israel. He said, Israel, I remember you. I remember the love of your espouser. I remember the kindness of your youth. When you first met me, you, you went with me in a land that was not sown. Do you know what that means? God was speaking about Israel in the past. He said Israel was holiness. Not now. Was holiness. What happened to Israel? He said, I remember you. God has a good memory. God remembered the time you gave your life to him. He remembered the, your fervency. He remembered the depth of your relationship. He remembered how you could not sleep at night until you speak to him. He remembered that everywhere you went, you kept talking to people about Jesus because that's all you knew. And he knows you now. He knows what is going on now. The question is asking today, what is the state of your life now? What is going on now in your life? Israel was holiness to the Lord. I remember you, the love of your espouser. God says something very critical here. He said, when we first met each other, you loved me. You loved me like a man would love his wife. You loved me so deeply. The love of your espouser. I remember you that when you did not see me, you, you panted for me. You looked for me. You craved for my, for my presence. What happened to you, Israel? What happened to you? You went with me in a land that was not sown. Let me tell us about a land that was not sown. Maybe many of us wouldn't know that because there is no such around. But when you go into a land that was not sown, there will be, there will be thorns around. There will be things around you. You go into a forest. God said, Israel was ready to go with me in a land that was not sown. Israel did not care whether that was human life or not. Israel was ready to go anywhere with me. But God said, not anymore. Your fellowship is no more. You used to be holiness to me. Not anymore. What happened to Israel? I saw what happened in this passage tonight. Go with me to verse 13. Let's see what happened to Israel. Are we ready in 13 of the same chapter? For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. What happened? The fountain of the living waters. And hewed to themselves cisterns. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's what happened to Israel. He said they committed two evils. What is the evil? They have forsaken me. They have abandoned me. And you know what? People could be in church and yet have abandoned him. We have the cliches, yet we've abandoned him. We gather around all the Christians, but yet we've abandoned him. And you know what? He knows if you've abandoned him. 
I said that here on Thursday, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. The Bible says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. Let everyone who named the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The Lord knows those who are his. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. He knows if you've departed. He knows if your heart is far away from him. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it says, A backslider in heart is full of his ways. When you are full of your way as a believer, you are far from him. Because the scripture tells us in Proverbs chapter 3, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, he would direct your, your path. Lean not on your own understanding. What is he saying? When you are full of your ways, you are always right. God has no option. God has no choice. God has no say over your life. God says you have departed from me. Come back to me. I have something to say to you. Israel had forsaken me. And what did they do? They tried to find another solution. They built systems. But you know what? The systems had holes around it. And they did not know. So the more they were pouring, nothing was being contained. Nothing was staying. You know how believers could do that? Many times in our lives as believers, there are Christians that could drive themselves to that point when the freshness is gone, when the fellowship is gone, when the blessedness is gone. David got to that point. David in Psalm 51 says, Oh God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. When David departed from God, he suddenly observed it was empty. How many of us have believers noticed that sometimes you just feel so empty? And you look around and say, what's going on with me? I don't know what's going on. I'm so empty. What's going on? The Bible says you've got yourself a system. You've got yourself a solution. But it's no solution. It's going to leave you empty, high and dry on a mountain that there is no God. Don't heal for yourselves a system. The Bible says the system could not hold waters. You know what happened to Adam? After they had the fruit in the book of Genesis, the Bible says they went ahead and got aprons and covered themselves up. That's a system. God is your covering as a Christian. God is your glory. When we begin to find security in other things other than a living God, you are beginning to get system for yourself. When you're beginning to make a way for yourselves, not allowing him to make a way for you anymore. For I am the Lord, I will make a way where there seems to be no way. I will, make, I will cause rivers to flow in the desert. He does that. Don't make system for yourself. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2. And we're ready. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. Revelation 2 from verse 1. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden 
lampstand. Let me tell us about a golden lampstand. Many of us will remember when we studied the Old Testament about the temple and the tabernacle of Moses. We remember the seven lampstand that was in the holy place. Now the Bible says here, Jesus using that to describe his relationship with the church. He said, I'm the one, the Bible says, who owes the seven stars. Every one of us know that the word seven speaks for perfection. It speaks of completeness. He said, I hold in my hand the seven stars in my right hand will walk right in the midst of the golden lampstand. As we're here tonight, the Lord Jesus is walking in the midst of his church. He's right here in the midst of everyone. He sees what is going on. He said, I walk right in the midst of the golden lampstand. He says, I hold in my hand seven stars. And he says, I know your works. I know it. I know your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil. I know what you are doing. I know, I know how much you labor. I know your works. I know that when you see those who don't have, you give to them. You want to show to the world that indeed you know me. I know the works you're doing. Now, this is another dimension different from Jeremiah. He's saying there are people who are full of works. You labor. In fact, before everybody gets to church, you're there cleaning and doing everything. I know your works. I know everything you're doing. He says, and your labor. And I know your patience. That you cannot bear with those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles. And they are not. And found them to be liars. You are full of spiritual perception. I know it. I know what you possess. Verse 3. And I've persevered. And I've patience. And I've labored for my name's sake. And I've not become weary. Nevertheless. In verse 4. I have this against you. That you have left your first love. Hmm. In spite of all of this. To me. When you see all of those credentials of somebody who labored so much, who is patient, who perseveres, who is not weary, who is able to observe those who are liars, who is able to distinguish a false prophet from a true prophet, I want to say that's the best of all Christians. But the Lord said, hey, I see all of that in the outside. But you've left your first love. What's a first love? You've left where we started from. You've left where we began together. There is something about you now that I don't understand. You're full of things to do for me. But you've abandoned me. You're full of things you're doing. The things you're doing are not wrong. You're full of spiritual perception and spiritual giftings. They are not wrong. But you know what? I need you. There is more to a Christian life than giving to the poor, than being, than being out there doing all the things you need to do. You need to begin at the point of fellowship, of loving him, of having a time of relationship, of dwelling in his presence, of enjoying a time of loneliness with him. Because the key to spiritual power is not outside, it's inside. Jesus said in the book of Matthew while he was teaching on Simon of the Month, Jesus said, he said to the people, he said, 
He said, you know, you go back into your closet because, you see, your father who sees in the secret will reward you openly. You stay back in the closet. Nobody knows what you're doing. That's exactly what Daniel did. They made a decree in the land that no one should pray. Daniel said, really? I know what to do. He opened his window, went on his knees, and said, where I control the whole world, here I control decisions. I make policies on my knees. When I get into a place of fellowship with God, nobody can stop me. And you know what? The entire land bowed to the glory and to the praise of his name. Nebuchadnezzar said, there is no God in heaven and on earth that can be compared with God. He said unto them, there is no God like your God. Oh, Daniel, a man who knew God. Situations could not control him. He knew his father. He stayed before God. He believed in him. He spent time with him. You know what I found out? The more you spend time in his presence, the less you want to spend with men. The less you want to spend with men. Because you know that the true power is in his presence. When you control what goes on in his presence, there is nothing in the world that can intimidate you. They fire you at work, you go back home, and you go to your father and you smile. You know why? Because his word says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thought that I think towards you. It is a thought of peace and not of evil. Oh, to give you a future and a hope. You know what his word says. His word is your strength. His word is your cover. His word is your place of joy and solace. You do not derive your strength from the things that the word has got to offer. You know better than the word. You know better than what they say in your office. You're serving the living God. He cares for you. He knows your life. He knows your future. He predicted and predetermined your future. He predestinated you unto salvation. What is it that he does not know about you? David said, I say this all the time. David said, my life is in your hand. My times are in your hand. David knew God. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. May I say to the church tonight, you need to rediscover your first love. It is not about me. It is not about the church. It is about you and him. Discover the first love. Go back to the place where you started from. Go back to the place of that fellowship. Go back to the place of blessedness. When you cannot go to bed without talking to your father. When everything that you do is challenged and controlled by him. You don't make a decision without his voice. You don't do anything until he speaks to you. Go back to the same place where you started from. First love. Revelation chapter 5. I want us to read tonight. I'm just going to go over this in a little while. I want to mention to us what are the warning signs that we see. What are the things you see to help us to know we need a revival? What are the things you see? I'm not, I'm not talking about community revival. I'm talking about personal revival. Because when there's a personal revival, there will be a community revival. When each of us change and we come into the place of power of the spirit and we're working with God, our communities will change. Because God has called us as his people to be change agents. Everywhere you go, people will learn of the kingdom of God through your life. They can read Jesus in your life. Why? Because you have known him. 
You know what is beautiful that I saw in the book of Acts of the Apostles chapter 4? When they arrested the disciples, they said, I've said it over and over again, they said, when they were looking at them, they said, these were unlearned men. But you know what we found out? They have been with Jesus. When you have been to Jesus and you have been with Jesus, your life will be different. One is signs. Number one, when you begin to observe that in your life you're drawing back from your commitment. That's number one. You begin to notice, oh yes, uh, well last year uh, I was able to spend time with God, but this time I just don't feel like something is going wrong. You need to begin to rediscover the fire again. You need a revival. Number two, when you notice that you are susceptible to sinful habits. Hallelujah. When you're susceptible to sinful habits. There were things we overcame when we knew the Lord. Oh yes, there were things we overcame. Oh, there were things we overcame when we knew Jesus. God delivered us from the power of sin. When we accepted Jesus, we came into a relationship with God and the power of sin was broken in our lives. But you see, after some years when some of those things are coming back, let me give us a very simple example, like cursing people. You never cursed after you gave your life to Christ. But 10 years after, now you don't care if you curse anybody. Something is wrong. The sinful habit is coming back. When you begin to watch that in the thought of your heart, there is no more control over the things you think about. Before, you used to stand and say, Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus upon my mind. My mind is sound. I'm thinking right. I'm thinking the mind of God. I have the mind of Christ. I cannot think evil. I think good. But now, the thought of evil runs in your mind day and night without any limitation. Something is wrong. You're susceptible to the sinful habits. We need to begin to look at that area of our life. Number three. Number three. This is interesting. Hallelujah. When prayer becomes a task, something is wrong. When prayer becomes a labor, that when you go to pray in five minutes, it's as if you've been there for five hours. It's like you're lifting a heavy load on your head when you're spending time in prayer. Something needs to be done. There's a need for a revival in your life. There's a need for a revival. When we, when we begin to feel the weight, because in prayer, what we got to do is to go before the Father to say, Lord, I'm here today. Do you remember me? I'm your son. You remember we spoke yesterday? Yeah. I want to hear your voice. I want it to guide me. I want it to lead me. I want it to guide me into all that I have to do. My future is in your hand. Lord, it's a new day. Now, when you spend time in his presence praying, and you're praying, and it gets to a point in your prayer, you begin to pray in the spirit. You begin to speak to the Lord in the spirit. And your spirit man begins to communicate with God. Your flesh cannot understand the level of what you're saying to the Lord. That is prayer. And when you leave the place of prayer, you leave that place and you're feeling, oh, I thought I just spent five minutes. Meanwhile, you've just spent five hours. Hallelujah. You've just concluded five hours. I read a story about Yonggi Cho. Many of us may have read this book, David Yonggi Cho. Is the man that wrote the book, Fourth Dimension. If you haven't read that book, you should read it. Fourth Dimension. Fourth Dimension, Volume 1 and Volume 2. 
Yonggi Cho wrote in his material, he said there's a particular place in Korea where people go for days to pray. They call the place Prayer Mountain. Now people stand on the line to get into the Prayer Mountain. They mentioned there are so many locations of the Prayer Mountain, and according to what he said, any problem that is brought to the Prayer Mountain never goes back. It dies there. It dies at the prayer mountain because believers spent 24 hours praying in that place. People put their names down on the register to be able to get into the prayer mountain. As some groups are going, another groups are coming in. It's a place of joy. It's a place of blessedness. According to him, when people are leaving the place, they are excited when they are leaving the place. They know they've touched heaven. They know they've done something new. I listened to Benny him. Many of us know him. Benny mentioned one time he was invited to go to uh, Korea to be with Yonggi Cho. And according to him, where they stood together at the podium, they just got into the church. You know, like we came in today. He said when he got there, he saw what he had never seen in all his life. You know what he saw? He said when he got into the church, that the crowd were trooping in from all the doors. And as they got in, they started to pray this way. Nobody talked to each other. They just were praying this way. Every believer in the house, he said he was just hearing, hum, 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 hum. the service had not started. He said he left the man and he wanted to see the people. He said there was no single person that stood Amsa Kimbo trying to talk to his friend. Nobody. Everybody came in Saturn and they were praying this way. They were praying this way. The service was still about half hour to that time. The man wanted him to see what goes on in that place. Brought him to see. He was going to preach. He said he couldn't even preach. Because he got there and said, this will pray more than myself. <laughs> they pray more than I do. He said the people were praying. He said, in any little word, he said, the people got excited in the spirit. He said they were ready. They were prepared. There was life. There was strength. Miracles were happening. Things were going on. Why? Prayer. 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 Number four, when commitment is forced, I'm going to explain that. When commitment is what? Forced. forced. You know, when, when we are forced to do things, there is no more drive. There is no more personal, there is no personal desire to do something for God. When we talk about evangelism, there is no excitement in your heart to go out and win souls for Christ. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. We need a revival in our lives. Number five, when we're more comfortable among the heathen, when you're comfortable with the Gentiles, when you're comfortable with the unbelievers more than the believers, when you find unbelievers and their language is your language, their lifestyle is the same with yours, you don't see anything wrong in what they do, but when you get among Christians, you don't want to be part of them, you want to be part of, of, of those who are not believers, something is wrong with you. When you get into the midst of believers, it should be the most wonderful place on earth. It should be the best place to be. Because there, we say words. We bring hymns. We bring revelation from God. The word of God is shared and distributed. And we get fed. How many of us have met believers before? You leave them, you are fed. It's as if you had a bowl of soup. It's like you're full of meal. You leave the place, you're excited in the spirit, you feel like praying. I know people that, when I feel like I need some help, I know people that I talk to, when you talk to them in five minutes, you feel like leaving the phone to go pray. Mm -hmm. 
Why? They're not trying to be extra spiritual. It's just their life. They just do that every day. Those are believers. When your life, when you become more comfortable among those who are not Christians, something is wrong with you. You need a revival. Number five, number six. Number six, when the joy of salvation has disappeared. Let me say this to us tonight. Joy of salvation is not any kind of doctrine. It is just what every Christian experience. Hallelujah. How many of us know what I'm talking about? The day I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus. Nobody preached. I just, I saw the revelation of Jesus coming back to the world. I saw the divine revelation. I saw a vision. And I gave my life to the Lord. As I went back home, I just was happy. I was excited. I couldn't take it. I, I almost couldn't sleep. I was say, oh God, I'm so grateful. You saved me. You delivered me. Every morning I was excited that I knew him. Joy of salvation. And you know why the joy came? I'll tell us tonight. Suddenly you found out that if you close your eyes in death, you're going to see him in glory. The fear of death was gone. The, the worry and the anxiety about life was gone. You know that it's what he wants for your life that you will have. You're not, the struggle is gone. That your life is secured in Christ in God. That God has a plan for you. That the purpose of God for your life will surely come to pass. That assurance brings joy. And you know what brings joy again? When you go before the Lord without guilt and condemnation. That Romans chapter 8 verse 1 comes to pass. There is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Will walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of Christ, of the law of, the spirit of, of Christ in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And when you go before the Lord, you're so sure that you belong to him. John chapter 1 verse 12. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them gave you power, authority, the right to become the children of God. And to those who believe in his name. And that's the joy. The joy that I'm a child of God. The joy that I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm the offspring of God. It's an, it's an unspeakable joy, the scripture says. Unspeakable joy. Full of glory. Hallelujah. Number six. May I tell us tonight, do you still have the joy in you? Do you, still, do you still have the joy of salvation? Do you wake up in the morning and you're sure, beyond any shadow of doubt, that you belong to him? Are you excited in your spirit that, take the whole world from me. As long as I have Jesus, I'm okay. The world may be against me, but if God is on my side, I'm okay. If God be for us, who can be against us? That's your word every day. Number seven. This is very serious. When the master's command becomes tedious and grievous. I will explain that. First John chapter five verse three. The scripture says, for this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. Do we see that? His commandments are not what? Grievous. They are not. When God speaks to you and you say, well, I can't do that. No. When your heart and say, Lord, if it is you, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to do it anyway. I'm ready to go out of my way to do your will and, your, and to do your counsel. When his commands are no more grievous to you. 
No question about it. You're not saying, oh, well, let's, let's negotiate that. No, there is no negotiation. He said it, I believe it, and that's it. When it's law, it's no more grievous. But when it's grievous, when we leave church, we feel, well, I know what they're doing to me. I know they don't like me in that place. When we're offended, God is saying, you can't be offended and still love me. Don't be offended. I love you anyway. It doesn't matter what people say or what they don't say. As long as what I say is what is real and what is true, believe me. I have commanded you. This is what I expect from you. Do it anyway. And you know what I found out? If we do his command, our lives will be blissful. Do we know that most of the problems we have today as believers is because we disobey the Lord? We disobey him in little and big matters. If we obey the Lord, Isaiah chapter 1, the Bible says, if you obey him, and sorry, Jeremiah, this is Job. If you obey him and serve him, you will spend your days in prosperity and your years in pleasure. Jeremiah, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 19 says, If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. If you be willing and obedient. If we obey him. If we obey him. If you obey his command. The Bible says his commandments are not grievous. You know the meaning of grievous? In other words, he didn't do it to hurt you. No, that's not what it is. He's doing it to help you. He's doing it to lift you up. Because God's command will always lift a man. Do we know what the scripture says? It says righteousness will exalt a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. His commandments are not grievous. If we obey him, he will do all that he has said concerning our lives. He will do it. God is faithful. Let me quickly... Finish up tonight on what are the reasons, what are the causes of these lack of life, lack of excitement. How do we get there? What brought us there? How did we get into this mess of waking up every day and it's as if we are dead spiritually? Why? How did we get there? Number one. I quickly mention this to you. Number one, the environment. Ever say the environment. Please, Christians, listen to me tonight. You need to watch the environment around your life. You need to watch the crowds around you. Who are the people that you fellowship with? Who are the people that are your best friends? I wonder when a Christian tells me that my best friend is an unbeliever. Uh, your best friend? Uh, something is wrong. Because from that person, you cannot derive the true life of God. All they could do is to give you natural advice and that's the best they know. But you know, when we walk with God, when we walk with a true believer, we know the mind of God. We do not only receive physical assistance, we also receive spiritual assistance. When we talk to them, something in our lives will change. Here, I understand the environment. I'll give us two examples tonight. Hosea chapter 7. Hosea, the book of Hosea. Chapter, Hosea chapter 7, verse 8. 7, can we open it? Verse 8. Chapter 7, Hosea chapter 7, verse 8. Are we there? I want us to see this in chapter 7, verse 8. I'm going to read, I like, I like to read King James Version, and I'll read another version for us to, to get this. In King James... 
Hosea chapter 7, verse 8. If we see, we can read. Ephraim. Ephraim has missed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Yes. Strangers have come, they've devoured his strength. And he does not know it. Yeah. It says, gray here, uh, here and there upon him, yet he knoweth it not. Why? Because of his association. Now, Ephraim decided to mix himself among the people. Who people? The people of the land. This is God speaking to Israel in the terms of their relationship with the hidden nation. I, I want to read the version that I have here. And I want us to, it's, um, it's the NET. I'm reading verse 4 and 9. I'll go to verse 7. It says, they are like bakers. Let me read verse 7, just to, because of time. It says in verse 8, Ephraim has mixed itself like flour among the nations. Ephraim is like a ruined cake of bread that is scorched on one side. Foreigners are consuming what is strenuous labor produced. I don't know where we get what is going on in the life of this man. Ephraim makes himself among the people. The Bible says Ephraim lost his strength because of his relationship with these people. He says there are gray hairs all over him and he has no idea. Why? Because of association. There are certain things in your life, the environment in which you live. Spiritual environment is critical if you're going to grow as a believer. You need to be careful who speaks into your life as a Christian. Number two example that I'm going to give is in Genesis chapter 34. The name of the young girl is Dina or Diana, whichever we want to pronounce it. Genesis chapter 34. It is the daughter of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, but there's a girl among them. In Genesis chapter 34. I'm just going to read that. It's important that I read that to us. Genesis chapter 34. And I'm going to read just about two or three of those verses. Are we ready? The Bible says in verse 1, Now Dina, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went to see the daughters of the land. I want us to watch that. What did she go to do? She went to see the daughters of the land. She went to see the people of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Amor, the Evite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dina, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father, Amor, saying, get me this woman as a wife. What happened to Dina? Because she went out of her comfort zone. She went into an environment where she was not supposed to be. There are places you are not supposed to be. It will jeopardize your spiritual life. There are environments that are dangerous for your growth as a Christian. They are not good for you. you need, if you're in such environment, you need to get out of there. Any environment that threatens your spiritual life, that threatens your growth in the Lord, get out of the place. 
the environment that threatens your growth, the environment that does not encourage you to move in the wings of the Spirit, you need to get out of there. And that brings me to a relationship. Many of us who are young people here, if you're into a relationship with anyone that is not helping your spiritual life to grow, it's the wrong relationship. Any relationship that does not increase your love for God is not the right relationship. It's the wrong relationship. Let me read verse 14 and 31 of that same chapter. 14 says, and they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised. For, what will be, for that will be a reproach to us. So it was said in this scripture that Shechem was uncircumcised. In other words, he didn't know God. It had nothing to do with God. In verse 31, the Bible says here, but they said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? But it wasn't the fault of Shechem. It was the fault of Dina. She went out of her place. She went to see the daughters of the land. You know, in our lives, we need to be careful what we go out to see. What you go out to see may ensnare you. In Proverbs chapter 1 verse 10, the scripture says, My son, when sinner entice thee, consent thou not. Don't go there. Don't allow the enemy to, to entice you. Don't go where the enemy is. Number, number two. The loss of fellowship. I've talked about that today. I'm not going to spend much time on that. When we begin to diminish in our relationship and worship of God, we will begin to lose our, we begin to lose our strength in the Lord. So we need to rediscover our fellowship. We need to rediscover. What, how do we rediscover our fellowship? Let me tell us how. Quiet time. Wake up in the morning. Make up your mind you're going to spend time with God before you leave your house. And you know what I found out? People say, oh, well, I don't feel like. Even when you don't feel like, spend time with God. Because, you see, we develop habits by doing the same thing over and over again. Now, if we have developed bad habits, the only way to get rid of bad habits is to develop a good one. Develop a good habit. Wake up in the morning and pray. However long, spend time with God and be consistent in your relationship with God. Number three. When we distance ourselves from the word of God. <laughs> the word of God is a refining tool. There is no way you can grow as a believer without the word. You know why? The word renews our minds. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The only way for the mind to be renewed is through the word. Amen. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore brethren. By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In verse 2, be not conformed to this word, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. He said, be not conformed, I'll tell us, the only the interpretation of the word conform. Conform comes from the root Greek word that says schema. In other words, something that comes from outside. In other words, do not allow what is coming from outside of your life to control your life. He said, but be ye transformed. Be changed from the inside. Which comes from the word mofu. In other words, be transformed from the inside. Let the word of God begin to transform you. I want to say this to you tonight. You know how to overcome sin? Spend time in the word. The power of sin will be broken. The hold of, the, of sin will be broken. The hold of the world will be broken. Spend time in the world. Spend time in the world. The more time you spend in the world, the more love of God in your heart. Romans chapter 5 verse 5. The love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. 
distance from the word. Distance from the world. When we distance ourselves from the word of God, we cut ourselves from the source of our life. I'll be talking more about that next week. Distance from the Holy Spirit. Sweet Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 25. For the Bible says, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Romans chapter 8. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. Is there to help, to aid, to, in, to strengthen you. So when you wake up in the morning, give the Holy Spirit a place in your life. Allow him to walk in your life. I wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to worship. Help me to understand the word of God. As you go out in the streets and you're talking to Holy Spirit, speak through me. Let me be able to witness Jesus and let the hearts of men receive you. Number four. Num that was number four. Number five tonight. Maybe I should stop there for tonight. And just trust God that the Lord will speak to our hearts. As I close tonight, I'm going to leave us with two, with two things that Paul said and we're going to pray. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul described our lives as believers as a race. Is that what he said? As a race. And when he began to describe, he says, you know, those who run in a race run hard. But one wins the prize. That's what it says. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. There are many who run in a race. And you know what occurs to me? When I read the word race, it shows that we're in a competition as believers. Now, let me say this to you. We're not in a competition with one another as Christians. We're in a competition with the devil. You know why? I, I want us to listen to this. Now. We're in competition with the devil because the race you're running, the devil has been banished from the race. He cannot run the race anymore. The race anymore. He is not allowed to be forgiven. He cannot repent. The devil can't repent. Satan can repent. So because of that, for many of us who are running the race, he wants to discourage you from doing the same. What he cannot do, he doesn't want you to do it. So we're running day by day. And the enemy is saying, you know what? You can come to my side. And God wants us to know that when we run the race, we should focus on him. We should understand that we're in a competition. Number two, we're in a competition with the flesh. The flesh will fight against you. The flesh will stop you from doing what is right. The flesh will say, you know what? You can't do it. Oh, I want to wait on the Lord today. That's the day you feel like eating the whole world. You feel like eating every food in the house. That's the flesh. The flesh says, no, you can't do the will of God. But we're in a competition. But the Lord will grant us the strength tonight. The Bible says, remember, there's a price. There's a price. There's a price. There's a, it's a race. And you know what I noticed? When I discovered it's a race, in every race, it's possible to get tired. How many of us have been a sprinter? We, I have one here tonight. He's a sprinter in the making. He's going to be, be representing the country, I believe, someday. But I believe, what happens to you when you're running a race? Sometimes you get fatigued. You're so tired. You get tired of going. And that's why Paul said, you're in a race. If you're tired, remember you need to receive strength from God. He used a second analogy in 2 Timothy. This is what he said. He said, no one engages in a war that allows himself to be distracted by the world. So he used us, he described us as soldiers who go to war. And you know, when you go to war, you need to be careful. Because when you go to war, you get wounded. And he says, when you're wounded, 
you need to be revived. You need to be healed. Some of us are here tonight. We may have been wounded. But God wants to heal you. God wants to strengthen you. You may have been tired of this race. And it's more for many of us who are younger. Because when we're young, we don't even understand. We feel that we're being deprived when we're Christians. That's what I used to think. I used to think being a Christian means I don't enjoy anything. They just want me to be in church. That's what they wanted me to be. But I noticed later that there is no better life than to be a child of God. Let's stand up tonight to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to speak to the Lord tonight. Revive us, O Lord. Revive us, O Lord. Revive me. I want us to speak to the Lord tonight. Say, Lord, revive me. Revive me tonight, O God. Revive me, O God. If there are areas where I've been drawing back, O God, revive me. Revive me. Revive me, O God. Revive me. I want us to pray that the Lord will revive us. In the name of Jesus, I want us to pray for the Spirit of God to come afresh upon us tonight. I want us to pray for the Spirit of grace. I want us to pray for the Spirit of grace. The scripture says in Psalm 85 verse 6, Without revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee. Revive us, O God. Revive me, O God. Revive my spiritual life. Revive my prayer life. Revive my relationship with you. Revive my relationship with your word. Lord, revive me. Let the Spirit of God come upon me afresh tonight, O God. In the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Revive me, O God. Lord, in the name of Jesus, begin to walk in my heart tonight, O God. Help me, O God, to, to, to get rid of the things that is affecting my spiritual life. Lord, the influence of the flesh. Yes, Lord. Lord, I disconnect myself from anything that is not of God. Lord, in the name of Jesus, whatever is not making me to walk in holiness with you. Lord, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' precious name. We have prayed.